0: From Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church and Touchpoint Ministries. This is the Gary Talks About God podcast. We are going to go to John chapter 4, but we're going to go through John, or to John chapter 4, through Matthew 28 and then Acts 1. So you can either turn to Matthew 28 and then to Acts 1, or you can just go ahead and turn to John chapter And as you turn to whichever one of the passages uh, you're you're moving towards this morning, uh, we will be in John chapter 4 for a couple of weeks. Uh, I encourage you Wednesday night to read John chapter 4 each day leading up to this morning. And if you did your homework, and I know that you did because you're all good students, I hope that each time you read it, something else about the story jumped out to you. This is one of those stories where the more you read it, the more you discover. It it really is a gold mine, right? You can go and you can find gold in the top layer of ground, but if you're a miner, what you really want is to find that top layer of gold that is sitting above a vein of gold that digs down into the earth. So the more that you mine, the more gold that you find. I I really feel like John chapter 4 is like that. There's a lot right there just as you read it on the surface that that is gold, but then you start digging down and you're just in a vein of gold where you discover truth after truth after truth. And so we are going to spend several weeks in John chapter 4, but this morning we're going to kind of step back and look at that top layer of gold instead, instead of digging down too deep but we will get there and the reason i want to start in matthew is because matthew 28 verse 18 and following you all know is the great commission this is jesus speaking to the disciples before his ascension and he says to them all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the earth. Then in Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 1, right after the ascension, Jesus ascends, or right before the ascension, he says to the disciples, it "Is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority. Then verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus gives the great commission in Matthew twenty-eight, and then reiterates the commission essentially in in Acts chapter one. And when we read that, we're just like, "Yeah, okay, I got it." We go to Acts chapter one, and I, I'm, I've I've done this many times. We we go to Acts chapter one, and what we see is the concentric circles, right? Our Jerusalem is Germanton or Winston or Royal Hall. Our, our Judea is Forsyth County in the area. Our Samaria is, is North Carolina. And then, you know, we skip to the ends of the earth, right? And, and we, we go, okay, that, that's what we need to do. We need to focus locally and then operate out from the local church in our community to an ever greater expanding of taking the gospel to different people. And, and that absolutely is true. The problem is the word Samaria. Samaria is the problem. Because again, we have 2000 years of history that we have to jump to understand and to hear the word Samaria the same way that the disciples would. Right, Greg made a very interesting comment in Sunday school this morning that I think helps to define the Samaria very well. He said that there are places in Winston that you don't want to go and you don't want to walk down the street. That would be Samaria. It's where you don't want to go. It's to people you don't want to have any dealings with. That is why when Jesus says, go to Samaria, the disciples are like, oh, did he really say Samaria? That's when Jesus tells the story of, of the person who is laying in the ditch and the religious walk by and the religious walk by that the person who helps the one who has fallen and is in need of help, the one who extends the help is the Samaritan. The one that you wouldn't have anything to do with. The one where if you just needed some casual help, you would tell them to go on by. It's shocking. It's not for us because we've, we we don't see the history in 2,000 years. But for the Jews at the time, that would have been an astounding statement. What happens in John chapter four is an astounding story. Because what we're going to see is in John chapter 4, Jesus is doing exactly what he told them to do in Matthew 28 and Acts 1. But it's not a new mission, which is why I read Psalm 98. So let's read John chapter 4. Uh, you go ahead and turn to John chapter 4. I'm going to read the last two verses of John chapter 2, and then I'm going to move straight to John chapter 4. And yes, we're going to read all 45 verses this morning. Now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. I know that Messiah is coming, He who is called Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. Just then His disciples came back, and they marveled that He was talking with the woman, but no one said, what do you seek, or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. that's just an amazing story (laughs) it is just so so amazing and this morning as as we look at it and again we kind of take the broad picture i want you to notice two truths about the gospel and the first truth is this the gospel is universally needed the gospel is universally needed as you go through the gospel of john John will track for us the movements of Jesus. He tells us he moves from here to here, to here, to here. He has been in Jerusalem. We went out to Judea into the wilderness. He is baptizing, and it says here that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making disciples. So he had caught the, the attention of the Pharisees. And instead of confronting them because the time was not right, it tells us that. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And in verse four is a very important word. It's the third word in the verse. It says, and he had, he, he had to pass through Samaria. Now, again, we don't think about this. We, we, we don't understand what this means. If we're going somewhere and we get on the interstate, and, and we're we're heading uh, we're, we're we're heading towards the beach, and we're we're heading down to Wilmington, and we take forty, we we have to go to Greensboro, right? I mean, we won't go to the shortcut. That's not exactly what is meant here. And to help you understand, I I got this map. I want you to see because it, it'll help you kind of put this in perspective. Jesus is down here in Jericho, all right? So He's down kind of near Jericho in the wilderness of Judea. Remember, Judea is the county. So He's down there, and He's going north, back up to Galilee. He's going to end up back up in Cana. Okay? There are no cars. There's no trains. There might be a donkey. Okay? Most likely, it is by foot. If you were down here in the the wilderness of Judea, how are you going to go to Cana? You're going to go north. You're going to get on whatever trail, whatever path is there, and you're going to start walking north. And as you walk north, you're going to go through Samaria. Okay, for us, no big deal. Unless you are a religious Jew. And you didn't like Samaria. You didn't like the the region. You didn't like the people. How bad did they not like them? Do you see right there on the right side, do you see the word Jordan River? There's a river that borders Samaria, and Samaria is on the west coast of the border. They did not like Samaria to such a great extent, they would cross the river, Go up through Perea, up through Decapolis, cross the river again, and go to Cana. Now, you really have to not like a village or a town or people to do that. I don't like driving through Greensboro, but I'm not going to go up north to Reedsville and around and back down to not go through Greensboro. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get on 40. I'm going to drive through Greensboro. I'm going to fuss about the bad traffic. I'm going to get stopped a couple of times, but I'm going to keep on going. <laughs> but man, they didn't like the Samaritans. They didn't want to have anything to do with them. So there was never a reason that a religious Jew or a devout Jew had to go through Samaria. Yes, there are roads down through it. Yes, there it was quicker. Yes, it made more sense, but they never had a reason why they had to. They had an alternate route. You know, crossing a river twice in one tributary, that's a lot. And it's not the Jordan Creek, okay? <laughs> it's, it's, it's a river. But they're willing to do that so that they wouldn't have to go through Samaria. Samaria. Do you see the hostility in that? Do you you see the the hatred in that? Do you you see the prejudice in that? They're not going to do it. The Pharisees in verse 1 who heard that Jesus was making and, and baptizing more disciples would not walk with Him through Samaria. Yet we're told Jesus had to. And it has nothing to do with the directness of the route. It has everything to do with the necessity of the mission. He had to go through Samaria out of divine necessity. Why? Samaria had to have the gospel He had to do that. And he's talking to his disciples and said, look, you know, we've got to go into the town. We've got to go up here. They need to hear. You know, the the harvest is ripe. We've got to go into the nation. There are people there who need to hear the gospel. He had to go. And he had to go, and this is an indictment on his people. He had to go because Israel had neglected what they had been called to be. They forgot their mission. Right when we think about Old Testament Israel, many things are true. They were God's chosen people. They 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 were given the land. Where they lived. They were given the law. They were told how to worship. Worship was located in Jerusalem, in the temple there. All of this is true, but they were called to be something else. Something that they neglected to do. Isaiah chapter 42. You can jot it down or you can turn with me. Isaiah 42, verse 5 through 7. See if you can pick up a theme. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out. And and, and hold on for a second. As I read these passages, let me. one of the things I've been trying to do is where Lord is all capitalized, read Yahweh, so that you can hear it's the covenantal name. So thus says God, Yahweh, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and the spirit to those who walk in it. I am Yahweh. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light to the nations, a light to the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeons, from the prisons, those who sit in the darkness. I, I, I will give you a light. To be a light for the nations. Then, over in Isaiah chapter 49, verses 5 through 6. And now Yahweh says, He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of Yahweh, and my God has become my strength. He says, Is it too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel? I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. Did you hear that verse in Psalm 98 earlier as well? Israel was to be light to the nations. They were not supposed to build up a wall, not supposed to build up a border, not supposed to build up routes around other nations. They were to be a light to the nations that would point them and guide them out of darkness and to God. That's what they were supposed to be, and they neglected to do that. Acts chapter 13, I know, we're in a lot of Scripture this morning. Acts chapter 13, this is the story with Paul. Paul is preaching, and as Paul does, he goes to the synagogues and preach, and he's He's preaching in the synagogues and the Jews are interested in hearing what he says and they say, hey, hey, I want you to come back again next week. I want you to, to preach some more. That's one of the favorite things preachers hear. Come back, preach to us some more. Acts 13, verse 42, as they went out, the people begged that these things might be told to them the next Sabbath. Okay. So the next Sabbath, in verse 44, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judged yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. So look, the the gospel comes to you, you're rejecting it, so now we're going to take it to the Gentiles and, and to drive this point home. He is talking to Jews. He is talking to people who knew the Old Testament, who knew the prophets, who knew what Isaiah would say. And he looks at them and says, For the Lord has commanded us, saying, and he quotes Isaiah 42, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Paul is preaching to him and says, look, you are neglecting what you were called and chosen to be by God. You're supposed to be a light. Now, you're not. You're not being a light. So I'm going to go and I'm going to take the gospel to the nations. I'm going to go be the light that you're not. Back to John. Jesus was going into the darkness of Samaria, a culture that had been completely ignored by the Jewish people. They were not being the light they were called to be. And Jesus, who we're told in John 1, is what? Jesus is the light. Isaiah says the light is to call people out of darkness. Here is the light going into the darkness. Here is Jesus fulfilling the very mission of Isaiah 42 and 49, doing what His people were not supposed to do, because we are reminded this morning that that we we say every nation, and what we really need to understand is when when Scripture says nation, it's really ethnos in the Greek. It's it's ethnic, because within there there is no homogeneous nation, right? There, there may be. But by and large, you understand this. We are one nation, but we are not one ethnos. There are many ethnos, many ethnic in America. So the gospel is for every ethnos. Every people group. Every tribe. So fast forward a little bit. Jesus goes to the cross. He dies. He, he, he rises on the third day. And before he ascends back into heaven, what does he tell his disciples? Matthew 28, Acts 1. Go therefore into all the nations. All, all. I, I like it when scripture is so clear. Well, Gary, what does all mean in the Greek? It means all. <laughs> then Acts 1. Here is all your nations. Yes, it is Jerusalem. Yes, it is Judea. But it is also Samaria. Those who you have avoided and cut off from the light. You think the disciples aren't going to remember that He went to Samaria? That they had to spend three days in Samaria? With those Samaritan people? And then the ends of the earth. And you know what? They did. They, they, they did. They started in Jerusalem in this little ragtag of eleven disciples, fishermen, tax collectors, zealot, all radically transformed by the gospel of Christ. Take the gospel to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the Mediterranean and into Africa and into the rest of Europe and into India and into China until it makes its way over here to us. We see in the 2,000 years of history since Acts 1-8 that they did. That the gospel is, is universally needed. And the command still stands today. The command has not been rescinded to take the gospel to every nation. It's a command for every believer, every one of you here this morning, this is a command to you. As a believer in Jesus Christ, this is a command to you to take the gospel to every nation, to go into Judea, Jerusalem, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. It's your command. And we can, you know, the I and B, they give, go, give, uh, pray, give, go, whichever way it is. We can pray. We can pray for our missionaries as they go. We can pray for other cultures. We, we can give to help support the mission effort. And, and we can go. We absolutely can. So let's fast forward one more time. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9 and 10. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every ethnos from every nation, from every tribe, from every tongue. We see the universal need of the gospel. And we see that universally the gospel will win. And that people will hear and people will respond so that one day when we get to heaven, we will join with people who don't look like us, people who don't speak like us, people who, who have a different accent. But here's the beauty. While all those distinctions may be clear, may be obvious, no one will notice and no one will care because we will be united in one purpose and that is to stand before the throne and praising the one who sits on it. The gospel is universally needed. At the same time, the gospel is also personally needed. They're traveling through Samaria and they come to this town that would be in the area of Shechem. And I use that because we understand or we know or from Old Testament that we've at at least heard of of Shechem. It it appears in many Old Testament stories. And one of the Old Testament stories is that Jacob buys some land in this area. Joseph, when they come up out of Egypt and they bring his bones out of Egypt, Joseph is buried in Shechem. It's an important area in, in biblical history. And so again, we arrive at this this important location. And one of the things that we are immediately drawn to is is, is that there's, there's a well. Though there's not a specific reference of this well in Old Testament, Jacob had flocks. You live in a desert and you have flocks. What are you going to need? You're going to need water. You're going to dig a well. Jacob obviously dug a well. And it tells us in verse 6, and I find this interesting. Remember the story of Nicodemus. There's there's not nearly as many details with Nicodemus as it is in John chapter 4. Have a lot of details. Look at John chapter 6. Jacob's well was there. Sorry, John 4 verse 6. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. There's a lot of information in that that sentence. A whole lot. We know there's a well. We know that Jacob is called Jacob's well. We know that Jesus is tired. That's interesting, pointing towards His humanity. We're told that He sits down. Anybody ever tired and sit down? It's a legitimate thing to do, is it not? And then we're told it was the sixth hour. That's about noon for us. all right. You know, in everything that is in that, there, there is nothing extraneous in that verse. We, we don't know why everything is important yet, but everything there is important. Because what's about to happen is going to make all the readers' jaws drop. Because in verse 7, a woman approaches the well. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Now, that's that that sentence again conveys a lot of information. Some of it, well, of course, she's a woman from Samaria. They're, They're in Samaria. Of course, she's coming to draw water. It's a well. What else do you do with a well? But taking those two verses together and looking at what is happening, John is painting a picture for us. And for us to see the picture, we've got to cross that history. We've got to go back in time. Because a woman to come and draw water here is both normal and unusual. It is normal in that women drew the water. I don't know why it was their responsibility, but it was. Right? We've seen this throughout Scripture. Right, Women at the wells drawing the water. I think part of it, honestly, is that the women did that because they could get out of the house and they could talk about women's stuff around the well. And I don't mean that to be disrespectful. I just mean that, you know, they could get out and and communicate and and be around other women. Women, y'all like being around other women. Sometimes you like not being around men. I'm just going to let that laugh go. So she'd go out, she'd draw the water. Now, what what is unusual is she has gone out of town at noon to draw water. Anybody go out and work in the yard yesterday at noon? I didn't. You know why? It was hot. It was miserable. (laughs) Walk outside. No, I'm going back inside. This is an arid land. It's going to be just as hot at noon for her. So when did women usually drink, draw water? She, they usually drew water in the morning or in the evening. Why? It's cooler. But she's at a well outside of town at noon. Hmm. That's a little bit different. In verse 7, Jesus looks at the woman... Give me a drink. Again, okay, that's normal. He's tired. He's he's thirsty. He's sitting down beside a well. What better place in a desert to find water than at a well? Here comes a woman from Samaria. She's going to draw water. Hey, when you draw some water, can I have some water too? You have no idea what cultural norms were just trampled. First of all, Jews did not talk to Samaritans. That's number one. Number two, Jews would not use any utensils that Samaritans had used. If she draws the bucket from the water, how's he going to drink it? Whether he picks it up and puts it to his lips or sticks his hands in there and gets water out of it, he's going to make contact with the vessel. This did not happen. Moreover, men just didn't talk to women in public, even if they were married. You look at many of the Middle Eastern cultures today, and that is still true. A married man and woman, husband and wife will be out, and the man doesn't talk to the woman. What you never did was talk to a single woman. That I mean, I cannot tell you how taboo that would be. Jewish man talking to a Samaritan woman for water, risking using her vessels, and you know what else? Risking touching her. You think you don't talk to a single woman in that culture? You don't touch another woman in that culture. You absolutely did not. And Jesus says, hey, can I have some water? Verse 9, I, I, I wish I knew how this was spoken. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink for me, a woman of Samaria? Is she puzzled? Is she perplexed? Is, is she offended? I I, I, don't, I don't know what inflection to read that with. But the question means, uh, we know from the question that she asked, she knew that this was not normal. I can't believe you're talking to me. do, Do you know that you're a Jewish male? Do you know that I'm a Samaritan woman? But then in verse 16 and 19, we're told that she's not just any Samaritan woman, is she? We find out that she is a Samaritan woman in verse 16 who has been divorced five times and is currently living with a sixth. That's high by today's standards. It was unheard of by then. This is a woman whose reputation is shattered. It's not just that the men wouldn't want to talk to her. The women don't want to talk to her either. Why do you think she's at a well Outside of town, and so the one inside of town at noon instead of at dawn or dusk. She's not going there so that she can chat with the other women of town. She's going there so that she can avoid the other women of town. Hey, do you say you just walked up to the well? Yeah, she's on number six, right? Just, just just, quick, quick, get your water. If we, if we hurry, we can get going before she gets here. Quick, quick, go, 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 go. To say that this woman has nothing going for her is a vast understatement. There is nothing in culture at this time that someone would look at this woman and see her anything, or see her in any other light than just a Samaritan woman who hops from husband to husband. And Jesus looks at her and says, you want to drink from me? Because she knew that Jews had to stay what? They had to stay clean. And the moment He touches her by their laws, not God's, but by the ones that they imposed, he was going to be unclean. And he says, Give me some water. He talks to her, he approaches her, because he knows everything that is in man. He's already had the conversation with Nicodemus and now he's talking to the woman at the well and the two stories, the two conversations cannot be any more different. Nicodemus was respected. You'd want to be seen with him. You'd want to be seen talking to him at the corner. The woman at the well, you don't want to be seen with her. You don't want to be near her. Nicodemus, of course, understands everything. He, he knows about the law. He's a, a, a good, godly person. He looks the part. This woman over here, how far must she be from God to have five husbands and living with a six man? She probably doesn't even know who God is. Let's tell Nicodemus the gospel because we would like Nicodemus to be in our church. I don't know that that's the right type of person that needs to hear the gospel. I don't know if, if, if she, you know, she just she wouldn't be a good fit here. The truth of both stories is that Nicodemus was just as lost as she was. It's not like Nicodemus was almost there. He was as dark and as far away from God as she is. And both people absolutely needed the gospel. Jesus had to go to Samaria because there was a woman who was going to meet him at the well who had been crushed by life, who was despairing, did not know what to do, but needed the light of the gospel to shine into her life to bring her out of the darkness. And Jesus goes... And he says, I don't care about customs and cultural norms that you have established. What I care about is you're not being the light that you were called to be. And since I am the light, I am going to go into Samaria and I am going to talk to her and I will tell her the gospel. And I am going to speak with her. And he answers every question that she has and is kind to her and is nice to her it says you're looking for the messiah you've heard i'm the messiah and she is so astounded by this that she drops her water bucket because she has met the christ who is promising her living water and she wants it she she wants it personally She goes back to town, guys. I've met the. T- Do you know how hard it had to be for her to say to the town, "He's told me everything I've done. Do I have any volunteers to stand up and tell me everything that you have done?" Man, y'all just got quiet and y'all sitting on your hands. But she needed to hear the gospel. She needed to respond to the gospel. See, it's not just that we take the gospel to the nations. It's that we take it to the people in the nations because they are the ones that need to hear. The nation doesn't respond. The people in the nation do. That's why in Romans 10.9 it says, if you confess with your heart that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, then you will be saved For with the heart, one confesses and is justified, and with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. It's always about a personal response to the gospel that has been preached because it is personally needed. The nation of Samaria needed the gospel, and this one lady in Samaria needed the gospel. And Jesus goes and takes them to the gospel. Because Jesus is saying there is no one that is out of the reach of the gospel. No one. There is no one who does not need to hear the gospel. There is no one beyond being called out of the darkness and into the light. And Jesus demonstrates that for them. By going through Samaria, by showing that this is his mission, right? He comes on the scene and he says, "Repent for the kingdom of God is near." And he goes through Samaria to preach the message of repentance. And he goes in the town and many more people believe because that's the power of the gospel that it can save the one who looks so religious just as much as it can save the one who was broken and beaten down. It's the beauty of the gospel. It's it's, it's the power of the gospel. And we see that because the woman was afraid that she would make Jesus unclean, but the beauty and the power of the gospel is that when the gospel touches people, that's what sanctifies them. And Jesus embodied that personally. When He touches people, He wasn't made unclean. He made them clean. And the gospel still does it today. It is still transforming lives. It is still calling people out of darkness. And Jesus had to go. Because that was His mission. And now it is our mission. It is our responsibility to take the beauty and the power of the gospel to the ends of the earth. So where is your Samaria? Who is your Samaritan? And ask yourself this. Would Jesus go find that person? now go and do likewise. The Gary Talks About God podcast is a production of Touchpoint Ministries and Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church in Germantown, North Carolina. Want to learn more? Visit our website at www.redbankmbc.com. If you enjoyed this content, please like and subscribe. Thank you for joining us.